Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with substance use disorder and mental health issues for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. In this episode, we'll be diving into the topic of EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a psychotherapy modality that helps people heal from trauma. And it has really great outcome in some studies. It says that 84 to 90% of single trauma victims no longer have post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD after only three 90-minute sessions. That's amazing. So it's got really, really good track record, especially for healing trauma. Also, it helps with depression and addiction and other things. Any of those kind of unconscious, long, chronic, uh, emotional problems that people have, EMDR is really good for. And what you do in an EMDR session is that therapist will either take their their fingers and wave them back and forth in front of your eyes and you're supposed to follow them with your eyeballs or they hand you two little buzzers in your hands and the buzzers vibrate one hand and then the other, then the other, then the other. So either way, if you're using your eyes or your hands, what's happening is your brain is crossing from the right brain to the left brain over and over and it kind of breaks down the barrier and allows the person to be able to access their memories and their feelings that they've stuffed down for years and years and years. Our guest is Emma Stevens, whose book, The Gathering Place, An Adoptee's Story, takes us through her healing journey with EMDR. This memoir is Emma's first book, and she and I share the same goal of helping adoptees find their voice and reclaim their identities. If you've listened to previous episodes, you might remember that we adopted our son Joey when he was an infant. He and I both believe his relinquishment trauma is at the root of his existential struggle and I am committed to giving voice to adoptees. But even if you have no connection at all to adoption, this episode will be enlightening because EMDR is a healing modality that has proven to be effective with conditions such as PTSD, anxiety, eating disorders, and addiction. So thank you very much for being here to enlighten us all. Emma, welcome to Safe Home. Hi, Beth. I'm so happy to be here. Great, great. I have been curious about EMDR for a long time, and after reading your memoir, I'm even more interested in getting it for myself and finding a practitioner for Joey eventually when he's in a place where he'd be able to do that. Uh, so we'll definitely talk about EMDR, but before we do, I'd like to just get everyone a background about your being adopted. And can you tell us your adoption story? Well, sure. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, I would say that I was told from as long ago as I can remember, and I was uh, born in the 60s, so it was the baby scoop era. And uh, I can remember when I was told by my mother that I cried, that was the first thing I did was feeling so sad of, uh, I'll bet my birth mother just wonders how I am, where I am. And I had this real concern for how she was doing, but that did not sit well with my adoptive parents. And from that point forward, it was, we've told you this information, but now we want you to forget it. And we don't want you to ever bring it up again. Oh, ouch. Right. So I grew up with this kind of, there's a Portuguese word called saudade. And 
it translates to meaning a longing that you can't explain. I guess the closest word we have in English is melancholy or okay. bittersweet. Mm-hmm. And I just grew up with that and not really being able to have any language to what it meant or how I was feeling and had no idea it was connected to my adoption mm. and my primal wound of being separated from my lineage and basically being asked to be someone that I wasn't and mm-hmm. it wasn't okay to be me. Mm. That must be so painful. It is. And when you feel like you're being told that you're the one that doesn't understand reality, then you question yourself all your life of, well, I guess they're right. Because, you know, our parents are kind of like our our gods in a way, yeah. because we look to them for our caregiving and, you know, eating and shelter and all, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I had to think that, well, I guess I just better, you know, get over this. Yeah, stuff it down because it's not going to be fixed or looked at by uh, this family situation, right? Right. Yeah, I actually had a lot of shame about it, <sighs> meaning that I was, you know, apologetic that I was adopted, mm-hmm. apologetic that I wasn't the biological child that they wanted, apologetic for taking up too much space. Mm-hmm. And then it was even sadder when I became a teenager and I basically became the other woman in the house to my mother. And that was harsh. That was really hard to understand at that age of what that meant and the jealousy. I didn't know where that came from. And I was going through my own hormonal thing of, you know, changing puberty. And anyway, it was, was, we had our rough times. That part of your book was really heartbreaking. So there was a lot of alcohol in your house growing up. Yes, a lot. I was very accepted. And almost expected. You know, that was the time you had a cocktail as soon as you got home from work or heck, the moms would have cocktails at lunch while their husbands were at work. You know, it was very normal. I I could watch their behavior change and I would Mm -hmm. see it in their eyes when I realized that, okay, that extra drink, that just pushed them over the edge. And then when they'd fight between themselves, they then would turn it on my brother and myself. And mm. we didn't maybe even do anything wrong. Yeah. But they were distorted with their thinking and their alcohol. And um, yeah, that could be hours of sitting Oof. there listening to rants and raves. That was just gut-wrenching in your book. And your brother is also adopted. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. He's deceased now. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, really just a tragic childhood you had. I. Oof. It's just, you just think, okay, that was really rough. And then you turn the page and go, oh my God, (laughs) there's more. There were multiple journeys, just like I promised, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm so sorry you went through all that. And then you eventually got into alcohol yourself because why wouldn't you? It was just part of growing up and part of our culture, fraternity parties and college. Mm -hmm. Everybody just drank all weekend, right? Right. I didn't even question it of whether I should or shouldn't. You know, it was just what we did. You did. And um, do you think you were particularly susceptible to alcohol based on your upbringing and just... Uh, Well, I had a double whammy because I did find out that my... When I met my birth mother, she was in an alcohol rehabilitation center. So you had it genetically. Genetically and and the adoptive family was... And then my brother, he died from his addictions. Oh, man. So terrible. And I unfortunately, still today, drinking is still so much a part of the culture. I mean, you can't hardly turn on a TV show or a movie or mm-hmm. anything without 
alcohol being part of it. It's just so true. Oh man, it must be so hard living in recovery from that and just seeing that everywhere. No, actually, I just am thrilled that I don't have to drink anymore. You're like, shoo. I'm I'm a very happy person that I'm out of that kind of bondage. Oh, good for you. You know, I I used to be addicted to sugar, which Mm -hmm. uh, is also everywhere. And People sometimes ask me if I get tempted. I'm like, no way. That stuff is poison. That's terrible for me. It's not poison for everyone, but for me, it was terrible. So Mm -hmm. I see a big pile of sugar in whatever form and I'm like, ugh. So yeah, same here. That's good. (laughs) That's good. That's good. So what kinds of things did you, besides alcohol, how did you self-medicate or try to uh, feel better before you found EMDR? Well, I think I was just searching all my life for something. And sometimes there'd be good things. I poured myself into singing and being Mm -hmm. in a choir and got a lot of self-esteem from that. It was really a life preserver. Um, And then I was a good springboard diver. And the things that I seem to do, I do repetitively. Uh (laughs) And that would apply to singing and diving. But it also applied to when I do Things that I didn't understand at that point were self-harm, but I did them repetitively and that would be alcohol and it would be hanging out with the wrong people. It would be making bad choices. And uh, I think one of my things was, and I I think it's pretty common for adoptees is we live in a a fantasy world. Mm. First of all, we're imagining who is our biological family mine was that I always wanted it to be Samantha from Bewitched. I loved her too. Uh-huh. And the way she treated Tabitha was mm-hmm. so sweet. And I just mm-hmm. thought, wow, what a great mom. So there was that fantasy. And then just always chasing. So I got into advertising, which mm-hmm. is a world of fakeness. Yeah. And until I learned that hard lesson of why I didn't belong there, um, I was chasing ever always after things that weren't real. Mm. And I had to learn a lot of lessons. And um, yeah, I think probably when I had my children, I started thinking I need to do better for them. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of road left even after them until I got to EMDR. Okay, so how old were you or how old were your kids? Where were you in life when you found EMDR? Well, in the book, if you remember where I was exploited by a therapist. That was horrible. I could yeah. I'm like, give me yeah. their name and number. I'm going to go get Oh, that was so terrible. I, I It was hard. We Oof. did um, take her through a civil case, but she's still practicing present day. No so way. It wasn't enough. To, $350 an hour. <gasps> oh, that's just but, horrible. It's horrible and, when someone in a position like that exploits someone. It's yeah. Just... And I was ready to dismantle my whole adoption experience and I was ready to give it to her and <gasps> it, it blew up in my face. So well, I'm kind of glad she knew the situation and took advantage of it. basically. Oh, yeah, that's but after that, in order to recover was uh, EMDR at its very beginning. Mm. And I went to a therapist, very kind woman, and she was saying, this is new. I'm going to practice it on mm. you. Oh, OK. <laughs> And uh, it was still when we did the just the fingers going back yeah. and forth of kind of stimulating your eyes to stimulate your brain. Right. I can't say that it really did a lot of good. Okay. But fast forward just six years ago. Okay. 
or no, not even that long ago, two years ago, right before I started writing the book. That's how I wrote the book was EMDR. Okay. Mm -hmm. And found a very skilled counselor that is very empathetic. And her first thing to me was try to think of a very peaceful place where you feel welcome and all of your parts are welcome. Mm. And from there, it just, the book started writing itself. And when we did EMDR, and I had, I was skeptical and thinking nothing's going to drop in my brain. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, there'd be like an idea or a word or a color. And with her guidance and saying, where do you feel it in your body? Mm -hmm. We really made a lot of headway. And I wrote that book and it really felt good. Oh, it's the book is amazing. You call it The Gathering Place, which is where all of your parts gather. And right. I love that you put everyone on a swing because I used to love to swing. Yeah, we all did, right? And you pick your feet up and you feel you're flying. Yes, that's so beautiful. And so in the book, you just invite these different parts, different ages of yourself, and they come and kind of work stuff out with you. You say, I'm here. It's all right now. I've got you. And they all have different personalities. And I just realized that uh, one of them is, is named Tabitha. I wonder if that came from that TV show. Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism uh, yeah, in the yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you had the actual EMDR sessions, did this dialogue happen or the dialogue just happened when you wrote the book? Yes, the dialogue happened when um, I wrote the book. But there is one complete session that's in the book where I'm talking about present day, something that has occurred. Mm-hmm. And my therapist said, you might want to put this in your book because it's very applicable. And I did. It's in the book. I start to really reconcile things of how just because you, you know, you sometimes think, oh, well, yeah, I feel bad about that. But that's not related to anything. Uh, Oh, having a second thought about that because everything's related. Everything's related. Everything's connected. Everything's related. And I, I hope I put it in the book where I describe how. I put a lot of things together just based on some silly thing that happened in my everyday life. Wow. Yeah. People think, oh, that doesn't matter. That wasn't influential, but everything matters. Everything builds on itself, right? You're like a spider web from when you're a baby or pre, you know, in in utero. And those are our implicit memories that are driving us. And it's stored in our bodies. Um, And whether we know it or not, we're making decisions. And, and showing up to places and yeah. based on things we don't even haven't even clued into our unconscious. Yes. And that's Bessel van der Kolk's book. Yeah. The Body Keeps the Score is so good about that. And it just lays yeah. it out in language everyone can understand. And it makes you really, it, it makes me very concerned about anyone who has very young children. <laughs> I look at babies and go, oh, sheesh, be careful. Yeah. You know, huge be, responsibility yes. forming that little mind and being yeah those early days are so important and uh yeah it means makes me really sad when when i can see the children going through stuff like uh, right now ukraine is trying to fight off russia and you just think of those little families and these children especially the children that have no idea how to register any of it is how is that going to impact their whole life everything yes so adoption impacts lives Mm-hmm. For sure, no matter what, For sure. it yeah. doesn't impact everyone the same, but I don't believe that you can be relinquished, even if it's for the very best reasons, even if it's to the most perfect 
adoptive family without having this primal wound, what they call the primal wound. I totally agree. Yeah. And I am here as an adoptive parent who some adoptive parents don't really buy into this whole thing, but I do. And I, I have a, a nice giant load of guilt of <laughs> participating in this adoption cycle, but knowing that my son would have been adopted by someone else anyway, but I'm wanting to make adoptees voices heard adult adoptees mm. that have worked through their shit, you know, that have, yeah. that have really, really done the work to help us realize that adoption is no small little thing that you can just go, Oh, good. They got a different family that can better take care of them. No, no, no. That's right. It's way, way, way more than that. And just because an adoptee says, Oh, I'm fine with it. That was my brother. Yeah. He's like, adoption doesn't bother me. I don't want to know them. Or why would I want to know them if they didn't want to know me? Oh, yeah. Because I actually had his information from him. Yeah. And I asked him, would you like it? And he said, no. Oh, wow. But I can look now at his life and see how much it colored his life until his death. Yeah. And I would even go as far as saying it's death by adoption <sighs> because all his choices he made throughout his life were because of he did not dealing with his primal wound yeah. or even acknowledging that he had it. Yeah. The acknowledging it in the first place is, is just really, really hard. And a lot yeah. of adoptees, you know, what is it? You have a 40, per, I can't remember. Four times more likely than a non-adopted person to commit suicide or at least try to commit yeah. suicide. That's horrible. We're overrepresented in mental health mm -hmm. and alcohol and jails and yeah. Treatment centers. And, yeah. and by an exponential amount, not just some little yes. amount, it's exponential. And, you know, no one told me that when I adopted Joey, they're like, here you go. I'm like, yeah. okay. So, man, if we can just help get the word out, that's why I'm so thrilled to get Adoptees Voices on the podcast. And um, so people can, can understand and start getting their minds wrapped around this thing. And so we can try to find better solutions. Yeah, it's just more open communication. And let's stop being so threatened and fear-based. That adopted child is just going to love you more when you say, I hear you, I see you. And we're going to figure this out together. Yes. I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, it's almost bringing tears to my eyes thinking if I had had someone or my parents say that to me, it would have made a world of difference. Uh, I hope it helps, Joey, that I am totally on his side and totally empathetic as much as I can be not being an adopted yeah. person, but I am trying really hard to help him find resources and mm -hmm. find ways to deal with it. I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, he realizes deeply how his adoption has affected him. So he's ahead of the game. I guess so. But it makes him really sad. <laughs> and, you know, it, he's like, I totally know why I am yeah. self-destructing right here. So I hope that uh, eventually he will he will be able to get to the place where he'll be on the other side of it right. as far as the self-destructive behavior piece of it. Right. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Well, can you tell us what EMDR looks like in practice now? I mean, it, it's, it is, like you said, very new uh, as far as therapeutic practices go. When did it start? Like the 90s? That's when I first tried. It was in the 90s. Yeah. And so here we are, 2021 20, is when I first tried it. Okay. And you put, I mean, a lot of people have different ways, but my counselor 
has the handheld pulsers uh-huh. where you hold one in your right hand, one in your left, mm-hmm. and it alternates just kind of vibrating and she can turn up the volume or she can turn down the volume and she can act- actually increase the pace or decrease it. Okay. So you let them know okay. what you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And then you just try to empty. It's almost like meditating, really. Yeah. Try to empty your brain and trust that your brain is going to take you to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Even if you come up with some word, you know, green, and you say, oh, I don't know why green came in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, my counselor would take that and say, that's significant. That meant mm-hmm. something. And then she'd give me prompts of where, you know, where you feel it in your body or what shade of green do you see? Mm-hmm. What is it about the color? And it, it just progresses to where it really takes you somewhere. Was there really something green that you came up with? No, I just came oh. up with that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but whatever seemingly innocuous word. But sometimes, often, I just have a word. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like uh, deprivation is a big oh, one for me. Wow. Yeah. And that is definitely my original wound, my primal wound. <sighs> and I see how it's played out throughout my life in just the smallest of situations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at least I do know where it's coming from. And I can go, oh, yeah, there it is. It's Hello. happening. Yeah. And I think I can deconstruct it faster now instead of being overwhelmed by it. Okay. And letting it last for too long or me moving into a self-sabotaging behavior uh-huh. instead of let's sit with this. Let's yeah. take this apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is is this true if I'm distorted? Is this a true story I'm telling myself? Is this happening presently? And it really helps, I think. Because it's much easier to say, oh, that's nothing. I'm right. good. Let's just move on. It's easier yeah. to just... That's silly. I'm having a silly thought. Yeah. Or I worry that I might not have any thought at all. Oh, yeah. And she said, nope, that's going to mean something too. Oh. <laughs> and so that freed me up. Oh, good. Of, I didn't feel pressure of coming up with some huge idea, you know? Yeah. It was just, it could be very simple. Okay. Well, it sounds like you have to have a really good therapist that is well-trained in this. Yeah. And that would be true across the board. Anything, yeah, any, any kind therapy. of modality that you use, make sure that they're of good standing. Yeah. Check the, the board of ethics. The board of ethics. Is there some sort of EMDR list of practitioners? I think so. I'm sure there is. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I really am interested in EMDR and I asked our healthcare provider, we're with Kaiser Permanente, if, mm-hmm. if you have that in your area. And my psychiatrist's office had never heard of it, which mm. was very deflating. <laughs> like, mm, yeah, because it's pretty popular. I think I am going to go back after reading your book and talking with you about this. I feel like this would be good for me yes. because I have trauma from being neglected as a child. And we had foster children with substance mm-hmm. use issues in our house when I was a kid. And there's plenty of stuff to work on. Oh, Yeah. And it affects your behavior present day. Definitely. All the choices you uh, like make. Like we all. It just happens to us all. Yeah. And the the EMDR, the, well, it was originally called eye movement desensitization. But now they use things in your hands. Or sometimes don't they use aural, like binaural, is that what you call it? Where it goes between your ears. I've never tried that. I don't know if it's used in EMDR, but I know that's another modality. Yeah. It's really to get your right brain connected to your left. To cross it over. implicit memories connected with present day memories Uh so you can integrate. Yeah. That's what it's all about is integrating the experience that that didn't have words before, Uh but now you're giving it 
presence. That makes sense. It's kind of like yeah. shaking it up. Like, hello, it is. let's get you all mixed yeah, together. Yeah, digging down deep in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could call it, in a certain respect, inner child work. Because yeah. you are going back to those early, early, sometimes limbic mm-hmm. memories. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm working on in utero. Yeah, oof. And that's exciting. And I bet you mentioned in your book, I bet every adopted person has in utero trauma because I bet 99.9% of people who are pregnant know that they're going to relinquish or are thinking about it. Right. So, you know, like give birth and then think, huh, maybe I'll relinquish this child. It's while you're being cooked in there. Uh The birth mother is thinking about this. Totally. Cortisol and stress hormone. Is yeah, and it, it affects our development. Yeah, and not only adopted people, but anyone with a parent that's struggling yeah. while they're pregnant. You know, there can be any number of things, even just right. medical issues. If you have gestational diabetes or something, and is is extremely stressful while you're pregnant, mm-hmm. it's nothing that you caused or tried to cause mm-hmm. trauma to your child. But you can just imagine that any sort of trauma to the birth mother will get into the child. Yeah. And they won't know true. to deal with it until they're old enough to <laughs> and have the resources and yeah. the wherewithal. Now, I don't think it would be good to do EMDR if you're right in the middle of crisis, right? It's more of when you're ready to actually deal with this stuff. I don't know. Let me think about it. That's a good question. Because I've uh, thought about Because I wouldn't rule it out. If, really? If there was a crisis, I think it might be able to help you slow down. Uh-huh. Take a pause uh-huh. instead of being reactive. Uh-huh. I think maybe it could help, really, if you had a good, you know, practitioner that could help you get into that mode. Yeah, yeah. I think it could be helpful. Yeah, wow. I think it's such a useful tool, and you know, pain-free. Oh, maybe emotionally not pain-free, but physically pain-free. There's no medication involved. It's right. just using your own mind. It's a lot like hypnosis, which we talked about earlier in the yeah. podcast. Yeah, because I usually have my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And the sense that my counselor's in the room, she's there, but yet I've kind of shut it all out. Uh-huh. And so I think it is a, a certain sense of being hypnotized. A li- yeah, a little, you just are alone with your own brain, getting mm-hmm. deeper into your brain than what we typically you know, we usually we're just kind of on the surface of our brain day to day. Yeah. And it gives me the freedom instead of feeling like I have to come up with a great answer or I have to come up, you know, like I'm being tested or graded on how to do it. It helps me just flow with it. Sometimes I'll even do that when I'm talking to someone and I'll look away (laughs) because it just helps me disconnect Uh and not feel like I'm performing for someone. Yeah. But I get in my thought and I help, it just helps me process whatever I'm trying to Mm -hmm. express. That's awesome. So I would love to look into this for Joey because I think it would Mm -hmm. really help. And for myself as well. And I always talk on this podcast about how important it is that the parents of struggling kids work on themselves and help your kid, of course. But the more we can work on our own stuff, this uh, kind of stuff that's just been there forever that we don't even realize it's just we're just swimming in it the more Mm -hmm. we can work on that stuff the more healthy we'll be and more able to help our kids who are also struggling and i would have to say that i had to learn my lessons so i didn't recreate a problem with my own kids because i was hanging on way too tight oh and real uh luckily i don't think i went too long or too far with it 
But I see what I was doing. It was like, here's the first biological people I've ever known. And I'm going to make sure that they stay with me always. Right. <laughs> but they needed to grow up and individuate and go off and, and fly and be successful. Yeah. And luckily, I was able to go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, but that's why I, I feel like everyone, everyone could use therapy. Uh, yeah, any kind of therapy. I don't care who you are. Even a therapist needs a therapist. Just get it. It needs to become... Just as ubiquitous as alcohol, let's make therapy. <laughs> just make it mandatory. Yeah, just make it everywhere. Make it just part of what everybody does. Yeah, especially if you're going to adopt a child mm. and and want that grafting of another person onto a new tree. Yes. If you want it to thrive, you need to have a lot of information to make sure you have the nutrients to mm -hmm. make that happen. Yes. One thing that I've recently realized for adoptive parents, many of us go into adoption after dealing with infertility. I say dealing with, we yeah. have not dealt with it. I have not. I'm working on it now, but we jump into adoption before really grieving infertility, which is, yeah. is a pretty major biological loss, right? Mm -hmm. So it is. if we can work on our own stuff to avoid traumatizing our kids unintentionally and- mm -hmm. Or placing that responsibility on them. Oh, yes having the child fix you, right? Yeah. And that's kind of my situation yeah. of what it was is, yeah, I was to become the biological child that they right. couldn't have. To replace the child that they couldn't have. Yeah. You and, and your that's brother. That's an impossible task. Yeah. That's a lot to ask. But I didn't know it wasn't my thing to hold. I, so right. I always tried to be apologetic and try yes. to be better and try to be that. You were such a good girl. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to be a good girl. adopted girl. Yes. <laughs> Joey was like that too until until he got into substances. Uh, when he got into substances, uh, the yeah. the good adoptee kind of <laughs> went, went right. away. But his whole childhood, he never gave us trouble. He was always sweet. He was delightful, you know. And yeah. I can't imagine how hard that must have been for him to just keep that up all the time. It must be exhausting. Yeah. And unknowingly, I'm sure that was unconscious to him. I'm sure. I'm sure. But I'm sure that just takes so much energy to keep that mask on and not upset anyone. Oh, I don't want to upset anyone. Right. It's the true self versus the false self. Yeah. And anytime we're in false self, we are very disappointed and uncomfortable and not happy. Yes. Oh, but it's when we're in our true self that we feel like everything's flowing correctly and we're in tune and alignment with the world and our universe and our people that we love. Mm -hmm. It's really important. I try to remember that lesson that I learned. Yeah. Because it's easy to slip in there and start people pleasing and be a perfectionist and all this and that. Oh, and it's yes. that taking the pause of what am I doing? Okay, I see this and let's uh -huh. analyze this. And yes, the mindfulness of just being aware. Oh, there I go again. Yeah. If you can catch yourself doing that thing again, that is a yeah. huge advancement. And not to beat yourself up over it, right? right. Like, okay, dumb, dumb, you're doing it again. No, going, you know, with lovingness of, ah, I see it. Yes. Oh, hello. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, of course you're doing that. And only then can you move forward. Yes. And not create, you know, more harm to yourself. Yes. 
Yeah. So it sounds like you've done a lot of work. EMDR has been a big part of it. I'm sure you've done other yeah. things. You had a whole bunch of quotes in your book by people I recognize, Gabor Mate, Sylvander oh, yeah. Colgan, so Ram Dass, and so many wonderful, wise people that mm. are out there. And everyone yeah. can find their own people, you know, whatever uh-huh. is on your healing path. I believe everybody can find growth and and make their own lives better and their kids' lives better and mm-hmm. the world better. Da, 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 da. <laughs> well, I feel like as long as we keep, you know, trying to do that, that's where your joy comes from. Yes. Not that it's always going to work and you're always going to hit the mark, but as long as you're in that process, yeah, that's what matters. In process. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I totally agree with you. Just in process. And if this podcast if it can just push everybody just a tiny bit more toward that yeah. in process, in progress of personal growth, that mm-hmm. will make a huge difference, I think. So I agree. Well, you've been so delightful getting to know you, Emma. And I found you through Rebecca's film, Reckoning yes. with the Primal Wound. She was our guest on episode 30. Uh-huh. Wonderful film. Uh, I just watched it again and <laughs> I saw you in it. You're in the film. Yes. At the very beginning, you have a little cameo. I don't know what you call it. A little, she involved a lot of adoptee voices and you were one of them. She did, but I was the first adoptee and uh, in the film. Yeah. So you can't miss it. Yeah. So check out the film and definitely read Emma's book, The Gathering Place, An Adoptee's Story. Did I do that right? Yes, you did. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Very Mm -hmm. good. Well, it's a wonderful memoir. I got to go finish the last little piece of it right now. And then I'm going to call my psychiatrist and say, Hey, find me an EMGR practitioner. I might have to Mm -hmm. just go out and, you know, find it myself and pay for it, (laughs) pay for it. But it sounds like it would be really, really worth it. I think so. Well, Beth, thank you so much. It's been a delight and an honor to be on your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. Please share it with anyone you know who's dealt with trauma or addiction or adoption or any therapist you know or anyone that you know that might be able to benefit from the information in this episode. And find Safe Home Podcast on all the social media sites. You can also listen to our podcast on YouTube. A lot of people find it easier to deal with YouTube than podcast apps. And we are also on Patreon if you would like to support the pod. As you notice, we don't have commercials on the podcast. This is a self-supporting enterprise. So if you'd like to contribute just a little bit, patreon.com makes it easy to contribute a little bit each month. And you can find us there on patreon.com slash safe home. Lastly, keep up with all the safe home happenings by signing up for our email newsletter. The link to the newsletter sign up is in the show notes. So thank you again for listening. And Emma and I want you to stay Stay safe. safe.